Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Give a precursor to uh, to an event that may take place uh, today. Uh, and uh, Brad and Brittany, Canuck, most of you know, are expecting, and she's right at the threshold of uh, of them uh, officially being a mom and dad. And uh, she had put on Facebook, uh, you know, to guess when, and uh, and I said today in the middle of my sermon. <laughs> but because she could go at any time, so I thought I'd throw that out there. If we start to have uh, uh, a little bit of disruption back in that corner, uh, then I served as a prophet, and we're talking about uh, <laughs> we're, we're talking about Prophet Haggai uh, today as we uh, uh, continue to go through this series that we've been uh, been in. Uh, but we do need to need to pray for that delivery, pray for that baby, and hope you'll put that down uh, on your uh, on, on your prayer list. Uh, a little bit of background: I, I do this every week in a series like this because you'll have people that's here the first time and they may not understand some of the background of Haggai. Uh, what had happened is that uh, uh, the Jews had been carried away into captivity years earlier by Babylon. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar came in, overran the city, uh, destroyed Solomon's temple. Uh, that was there. Uh, so now we are years later, and around 50,000 people are allowed to return to Jerusalem. Uh, they started building the, the walls up, the gates, uh, their homes, laid the foundation for the temple. But because of exterior pressure, and then becoming sidetracked themselves, uh, what happened was this. They, they just kind of lost focus on building the temple. And, and the foundation was there for 16 years uh, without them touching, uh, trying to do the temple at all. Uh, so God called Haggai uh, to go in and, and preach some messages to them to exhort them. That's what we call the series Exhorting God's People. Or, or encourage them to uh, finish the work that they had started by building the, the temple years ago. Uh, the reason I think it's an important message for us in this day and time is that it's very easy for us to become apathetic ourselves. Uh, we, we live in a culture to where there is exterior pressure uh, against Christianity and the world that we live in. Uh, and in with that, when we get so inwardly focused in our own lives, it's easy for us to just kind of let the things of God uh, lay to the side uh, while we just focus on ourselves. So that's what the people had done then. That's what I think we are guilty of doing many times in our own lives. And we need to be exhorted ourselves to, uh, to carry out God's work. While we are not building a temple, so to speak, uh, as I've told you probably every week in the series, to a certain degree we are building a temple because you and I as believers are the body of Christ. Uh, and we're the temple of Christ. God lives in us. And we've uh, recently put up our, our new vision and mission statement. And uh, these things are uh, what we need to be about building. We need to be the body of Christ and to help us uh, do that in a more efficient way. We need to be building each other uh, for the purpose of changing the world. We're not to be uh, building each other just for the sake of uh, saying we know more and uh, we uh, uh, can find more in the Bible uh, and, and things like that or just for our intellectual knowledge. Uh, we're supposed to be building believers so we can change the world. It needs to be beyond us uh, in, in about serving God's will and the culture that we live in. <clears throat> we also have this as our, our mission statement, to be connected with God. Uh, and, you know, that is what helps to facilitate being the body of Christ. Uh, you and I need to connect with Him uh, all the time. We need to connect with Him uh, daily in our own devotionals and, and, and things, where we're actively pursuing after, after God. Uh, we need to be connected with others because we can't build believers, we can't build each other up unless we spend time rubbing shoulders with each other. That's why I think it's important for you to be part of a small group of believers and things like that to where you can encourage each other and pray together uh, and, uh, and know what's going on in each other's lives uh, with the goal of us connecting other people with, with God. So while we're not in a building program, we are in a building program, so to speak, as we try and build each other up and we try and uh, build uh, the body of Christ. What we've been uh, looking at to, to this point, uh, we've had about seven 
Uh, we're going to have seven by the time we finish uh, exhortations. Uh, we have three of the exhortations left. Uh, today we're going to talk about this. Well, we're going to be looking up because God is, is with us. That's the uh, message today in chapter 2 of Haggai, verse uh, 1 through 9. Uh, and, and then next week, uh, we're going to look within. Uh, next slide, please, Zach. Uh, we're going to be looking within because sin contaminates us. Uh, now, I, I need to go ahead and apologize to the mothers a little bit. Because on the other side of this series, we're getting ready to do a, a, a long series addressing men entitled Calling All Men. Now, the reason I'm apologizing to the mothers is that I'm not doing a, quote, standard Mother's Day message. And you're going to think, well, you're going to talk to the fathers for all those weeks. Well, you ladies know we're messed up. Amen? <laughs> so, you know, uh, what you need to do on my email address is send me emails about how messed up your husband is or whatever. And then I can include that in, in with a message. But we're going to be working toward Father's Day. And uh, we're going to have the baby dedication, by the way, on Father's Day like we did last year uh, for a specific purpose uh, also instead of doing it. Uh, on, on Mother's Day. And, and while I'm not preaching a, a message necessarily uh, attached to Mother's Day, I do think there's an application. Uh, because when we look within us, sin hurts our lives. And, and if you have a good godly mother, or if you are a good godly mother, you have a concern for your children. And you have a concern for how sin can contaminate them and, uh, and injure them. So hopefully we can get a dual purpose uh, next week. Then we're going to finish the series up talking about uh, looking ahead, that God uh, seals us. And that's kind of uh, looking into the future beyond just even the time of, of Haggai, which we'll do today also uh, in, in the message. Uh, so to this point, uh, we've looked at the fact that, that we ought to put God first, uh, and that will help us carry out His work if we'll have the right uh, relation, right fellowship with God by putting Him first. Uh, we've looked at how uh, we, we need to consider God's uh, way, consider our ways in light of God's ways. We need to view ourselves from God's perspective and make changes in, in our life. We've looked at how God keeps His promise, uh, even the bad part of the promises that we might not like. And, and we also looked last week about how we ought to uh, obey God. We ought to obey His command. Because what happened last week in the passage, the people had heard uh, Haggai uh, preach for about three and a half weeks. And they come to the point that they say, okay, we hear you. Uh, we are going to do uh, what you're telling us we need to do. We are going to build uh, the temple. Uh, having come to that decision, I think they needed to hear the message that Haggai proclaims to them today. Because having come to the decision that they were going to build the temple, I'm sorry, guys, I've got this hanging around off my, off my neck. Now, now I look like Britney Spears more. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I will not dance for you, I promise, or soon. But uh, I was wondering, the sound kept going and coming, I thought, oh, it's my fault. Uh, and, uh, and all. But see, when the people came to that decision that, that it's time to build a temple, um, and with that, there's going to be some major life changes that will take place for them. Because after leaving the temple dormant for 16 years, now they've decided they're going to build a temple. Man, it's going to affect their time. It's going to require their talents. It's going to require their finances. And they're getting ready to go through a major life change. So as they set out to accomplish what God had called them to, it would be really easy for them with this daunting task in front of them to say, I, I, we're just going to throw our hands up and give up again. I mean, after all, we left the foundation there for 16 years, so uh, you're talking about all this work we have to do. And I think that's why God told Haggai to tell them, now that you've decided to be obedient, you need to hear this, I am with you. In other words, I will help you do what it is I'm calling you to do. And that message is still applicable for us in this day of time because we need to recognize that God is with us. The message today is look up. That's what Haggai tells the people. Look up and recognize that God is with you. And we need to do that ourselves. We need to look up and look to God. You know what our tendency is? Our tendency is this. Instead of looking up when God calls us to do something, we look around. And as we look around, we, comes up, we come up with tons of excuses as to why we can't do what God's calling us to do. 
You know, God, I'm too busy. I can't do it for this reason. I can't do it for that reason. So instead of looking around at our circumstances and what it might require for us to fulfill God's will, and like I said, for us, we're not in a building program. I mean, if God puts us there one day, that's fine with me, although I'll probably address that in a moment too. Uh, You know, I, I remember the last time we just did a project around here. Uh, you know, it was fun, wasn't it? Some of you guys that were here till two in the morning working and, uh, and, and things. So uh, anyway, I'll, I may address that in just a moment, uh, a little bit. But God has called us to build the body of Christ. He has called us to change the world. He has called us to be the temple of Christ. So uh, with that in mind, we need to recognize that God's with us to help us do it. Quit looking around and come up with excuses. Look up and understand that he promises to be uh, with us. Uh, as we look at these verses today, there are three three main things I want you to see. Uh, three, uh, uh, th- you know, three encouraging truths uh, that uh, that we need to look at today as we think about doing what God calls us to do and the fact that God is with us. Here's here's truth number one. Uh, truth number one is this: God through Haggai gave the people in that day, and He still gives us this also. We've, we've got the promise of God's abiding presence. We've got the promise of God's abiding presence. Now, the reason I said abiding presence, think about the background of what happened. They've been building their own homes, building their own lives. They, they left the temple there in ruins for 16 years. So it would be really easy to, for them to think in their mind, well, we so screwed up, God's done with us. God is saying, no, I'm not done with you. I'm still present with you. I'm calling you to build a temple. I'm still your God. You're still my people. And I want you to understand that you can do what I'm calling you to do because I'm with you to help you do it. In verse 1 through 5, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Uh, he's talking about the, the, the former tabernacle, the former temple, rather. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Now, before I break that down in kind of two main sub-points, I wanted to uh, give you a little bit of background, the significance of the date that we're given. Because on the date that Haggai proclaims this message, and a month has passed, from last Sunday to this Sunday, you thought it's been a week, no, it's been a month in the Bible uh, and everything. So he, uh, uh, the message he proclaims today was a month later of the message we looked at last, last week. He proclaims it during the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, I think here's the significance of that. The Feast of the Tabernacles was a time that the Jewish people would commemorate when God was with them in the wilderness wanderings. And they would go out and they would spend some time in some little huts that they would build instead of being in their homes uh, during the Feast of the Tabernacle. And as they are staying out there during the Feast of the Tabernacle in those little huts, they, they are being reminded of how they lived in tents. They're being reminded of how God protected them through the wilderness wanderings, how God provided their food, their clothing, their, their shelter, their protection. God took care of them uh, in all ways as they were there in the wilderness wanderings. So it is during this Feast of the Tabernacles that Haggai comes to them and he says to them, you know, as far as you build in this temple, I want you to understand something, I am with you. So here would have been present in their mind. They're, they're sitting camping out in these little tents, these little tabernacles, remembering what God had done in the past. Now God is saying to them in the future, as you build the temple, I am with you. So there's a big contrast that's being given to them. Uh, they're sitting out in their little huts instead of their nice houses they built, you know, for 16 years. And through that, they're being reminded, hey, God was with the children of Israel in the past. God helped them in the wilderness, and he's the same God. And that same God is telling us that he can help us in the future. He can help us with what God is calling us to. So that's the significance of it being uh, on that date. Uh, that, that's communicated uh, to us. So I want you to see two important things in, in verse 1 through 5. I think in, in verse 3, God basically is telling the children of Israel this. He's reminding them that he was with them 
in the past, that he was with them in the past. I I was with you in the past. Verse 3, when he says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Now, when when you look in in the book of Ezra, you'll find out this, that when they built the foundation 16 years earlier, some of the older men cried. The younger people were rejoicing, some of the older men cried. Some theologians think that they cried because they were so happy that the foundation of a new temple had been laid. And that might be the reason. Some people think that the old men were crying because when they saw the footprint, the foundation of this new temple, it didn't compare to the size of Solomon's temple. So in contrasting things, they are crying because they're thinking, man, this temple is not going to be as glorious as the old temple. Now let me walk you through some, uh, some words that was used there in, in, in verse 3. When he says, who is left among you, uh, the word left literally means to swell up. So I I get the sense that just maybe God is telling them, you were swollen up with pride about that old temple, about Solomon's temple. That temple that you were so prideful about. And and he asked them, how many of you saw it? You literally saw it. Some of the older men had literally saw the old temple. How many of you saw it? They might have been young boys, but still they had laid their eyes upon it. How many of you saw that Solomon's temple in all of its splendor and all of its glory? And then he says, how do you see it now? And the word that he used in Hebrew means to literally see it. Now, now here's where I'm going to go against the grain of a lot of commentators that, that I've read over the years. And don't go off and start your own denomination on this or anything, but I'm telling you what I think the Bible teaches as opposed to what is generally said. Uh, about this text. Most of the time, they're saying that, that Haggai is looking at the people and saying to them, comparatively speaking, who among you saw the old one? And then how does the new one look in comparison to the old one? You see, I don't think that's what Haggai meant. I don't think that's what God was saying through Haggai. Here's why. The new temple hadn't been built yet. They just started it. Now, Haggai might could have been saying to them, well, look at the foundation, look at the condition you've left it in. But because the first word that I referred to a moment ago, the word left can mean to be swelled up like in pride. I think potentially here's what Haggai was saying. He's telling these people who are now getting ready to build a new temple, quit living in the past. Quit staying focused on the old temple. Quit thinking about the former glory of the old temple because there's something new that I'm doing. There's a new temple that you're going to build. And God even promises them in just a minute, you'll see that the new one will be more glorious than the old temple. So I think what he's telling them is simply that. he's, He's letting them know, don't be living in the past. Don't be all consumed and prideful about Solomon's temple because God was letting them know I'm the same God that helped them build the temple then. I'm the same God that equipped them and and enabled them to build Solomon's temple. So I'm the same God that can help you build the temple now. But God was also telling them this. I'm the one that made sure that Solomon's temple would be built. But guess what? Because you went off into the worship of idols and you turned your back on me, I'm also the same God that had that old one torn down. So when God is telling them, how do you see it now? He's not talking about the new temple. He's saying, you're so swelled up in your pot about the old temple, Solomon's temple. How do you see it now? And the answer would have been this. You can't see it now because it's been destroyed. It's gone. So I think potentially the message he's given them is this. Quit living in the past. Quit living in the glory of the old temple. Understand that there's a new temple right now that I'm calling you to build. Get over the old temple and live in the present. And you see, I think that's a huge message for us even in the church today. I I mean, I'll I'll meet people as I work with some people in the Southern Baptist Convention because of the church planning team, and you'll hear people talking about the old glory days, you know, back in the 50s and the 60s when Southern Baptist congregations were growing and they were baptizing, you know, tons and tons of people and everything, and all that's great, but here's the deal with that. We can't go back to that. We, 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 We can't just pick ourselves up and put ourselves back in the 50s. 
Our world's not even the same. We can't pick ourselves up and put ourselves back in the 60s or the 70s or even the 80s or even the 90s. Our our world is changing at a fast rate. So instead of us thinking back and longing for the days it used to be, we need to recognize the God that helped in the past is the same God that helps in the present. The God that helped all those people be baptized in Southern Baptist to grow in massive ways in the 50s and the 60s, he's not abdicated his control. He's still on the throne, and he's the same God that can help us do what he calls us to in the present. So we need to recognize that God is, is with us. And quit just trying to live in the past. And I, and I really think that's the message. Like I said, don't go off and start your God is with us denomination or anything on, on what I've just said. But I honestly think that's what the, the teaching is. That, that's why, hey, it's good to read commentaries, but you need to study something out and you need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And uh, sometimes he may show you some things that you don't get just reading a book from, from someone. And I think that's what he was saying. I don't think he was saying, look at the old one. You couldn't see the old one. I don't think he was saying, look at the new one. It wasn't built yet. He was saying, quit living in the past. You can't even see that one. You need to understand that you need to live in the present. So God not only told them that he was with them in the past, God also says this to them. God says, I'm with you now and in the future. Verse 4 and 5, yet now be strong. And he says it three times. He tells a government official, be strong. He tells a religious leader, Joshua to be strong. He tells all the people that they needed to be strong. And then he goes on and he says this, for I am with you. Work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Now, during this feast of the tabernacles that I alluded to a moment ago, they would have read to them the book of Deuteronomy. In the process of them having read to them the book of Deuteronomy three times, they would see that Moses told Joshua and the children of Israel, be strong, be strong, be strong. So it's God's timing (laughs) that this would be taking place. This message would come to them during the Feast of the Tabernacles. Through their Bible reading, be strong, be strong, be strong. And then Haggai shows up at God's prophet. And he's telling them, you need to be strong. The government leader, he's telling the religious leaders, be strong. He's telling all the people to be strong. What does he mean by that when he tells them to, uh, to, to, be, to be strong? Um, I, I think one thing he's, he's meaning is this. Since we were just talking about the old, the old temple a moment ago, uh, God's going to tell them in just a minute in verse 8 when we get there that the silver and gold are his. In other words, if, if God wanted this new temple to be embellished with silver and gold, to be really fancy, God owns it all and he can make it be so. Okay? But I think what God is telling them is this. You see, Haggai doesn't deny that the new temple is not as big looking as the old. And yet Haggai says it, in a moment, you're going to see he says that it'll be greater than, than the latter one. God isn't focused on the silver and gold. God tells them, behold, I'll be with you. God is saying the most important thing is my presence. Now apply that for a minute before I I, I try and break down uh, a little bit of what Haggai's saying uh, here in these verses. Because I I want to show you some more things that I think is meant there. But uh, we need to recognize the most important thing is the presence of God. The, the most important thing for our churches is not the way the building looks. And, and by that, I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of it, what God has allowed us to have, and, 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 and you know, be protective of it sometimes and things like that. But, but I'm telling you this. It's not about buildings. It's about the presence of God. Some churches make it all about the building. I've got a pretty good sense that you guys don't come here because of the building, because we've got poles in your way to where you can't see. We don't have a steeple out front. It's a building that God provided for us a lot cheaper than we could build this much space and everything. But I don't think you come for the aesthetics. I hope you don't come for the aesthetics of this building. I hope you come for the right reason. And the right reason we need to recognize, hopefully, that maybe we can experience the presence of God here. I I hope that's why you come. 
Because some churches don't get that. For some churches, it's all about the building. I mean, did you build the building to make a shrine out of it, or did you build the building for it to be used for the glory of God? I I was preaching a a message at a a church I pastored in the past, not one local, so quit trying to guess. Uh, Oh, was it where you used to be at? No. It was completely out of this area. But I was preaching about the the, the woman uh, who had been caught in adultery and how they were ready to stone her. And I got the neat idea that week that I'm going to take a bag of rocks in with me. And as I talk about different types of rocks of, of, of being judgmental and things like that that we might cast at people, I, I was coming over and putting it on the, on, on the holier-than-thou communion table. And as soon as I put the first rock down, there's an elderly lady in that church who I could tell by the look on her face, I had committed a cardinal sin. I mean, it's a wonder she didn't pass away of a heart attack right there or come up and slap me for even doing it to begin with by the look on her face. Now, I understand to a certain degree where she was, but I'm telling you something, it's not about the way a building looks, it's about the way God looks in our lives. It's about the presence of God in our lives, and we need to get that, and churches need to get that because His presence is, is the most important, important thing. So uh, I want you to see some things here. God, God had a current and future message for his people. When he said, yet now be strong, uh, and then he said, be strong, then he said, be strong again the third time. Each time, he used a word that means this. He, he's saying, at this time, I want you to fasten upon something. At this time, I want you to seize upon something. At this time, I want you to be strong, the way it's translated. I want you to be courageous. I want you to fortify. I even want you to be obstinate, and I want you to conquer. What God is telling the people in Jerusalem at that day and time is this. Be strong. I'm with you. I'm going to help you do the work that needs to be done. As he calls upon them, and he tells them to be strong. It was during the Feast of the Tabernacles, like I said a moment ago. Here's the application for us in this day and time. Think how much more effective the church would be. Not just this church, but including this church. But think how effective day three would be or any other church would be if we would apply that word study to us. Back, back up, please. Uh, one, one slide, Zach. If we would apply this to us, if, if we would fasten upon the purpose of God, if we would fasten ourselves to the will of God, Now, before you start asking, what is it? There's the big picture of it on our walls. We could have given you more incremental, smaller things, but I would rather have a vision and a mission that we can park a lot of smaller things under. This is what God's called the church to do. Not just our church, but any church. And and if we would fasten upon God's purposes, if we would seize upon God's purposes, if we would be strong, if we would be courageous, Because in the world that we live in, let's be honest, guys, it's becoming more and more of a negative place to come out and say, I'm a Christian. Especially parts of the world you live in, you might lose your head pretty quick for doing that. But even in the culture that we live in, because of Hollywood or whatever the case might be, it's becoming more and more dangerous, risky to start making stands for Christ. So if we would be courageous, if we would fortify ourselves to the purposes of God, I even like this part of the definition, if we would be obstinate. You, you know what that word means. Kind of, you, you've dealt with people that are obstinate. They're just, you know, they're, they're, you kind of think, well, they're stubborn. You know, they're, they, they won't move an inch or anything like that. I honestly think that's how the church ought to be when it comes to the purposes of God. We, we ought to be obstinate when it comes to the purposes of God. Because we do have all these different places that seem to be against us, and the culture that we live in is becoming more and more anti-Christian. Instead of us shrinking back, what we ought to be is obstinate and not care what Hollywood thinks or what your neighbor thinks or what you, know, you, you experience anywhere out in our culture. We need to be obstinate and say we're going to hold to the purposes of God and try and carry out the will and the purposes of God in our individual lives, in our church, no matter who likes it or what happens. We, we need to have that type of, of, of attitude and, and, and to conquer. That's what he told them to do in regards to, uh, to, to building the, the, the temple. He, he told them that you need to have an awareness that I am with you. Uh, the, the word 
when, when he tells them that he's with them, uh, he tells them to do the work with an awareness that, that, that I'm with you, with the confidence that God is with you. When he tells them to work and he says, I, I am with you, uh, the, the word means there for, for with, it, it means I'm near, I'm with, I'm beside, I'm at, I'm among. Uh, the root word means to groan. And it says that God himself, the almighty eternal God, is the one that told the people of that day, Haggai's day, that he is with them. That's the same message we need to remember. Whatever God calls you to do, he's with you. Whatever God calls our church to do, he is with us. And, and, And guys, it's even more real for us than it was in Haggai's day. Because, you see, in Haggai's day, in that point in time, the Holy Spirit was not sent to indwell believers on a permanent basis. The Holy Spirit would come upon them to equip them for tasks and things they were called to. It's on the other side of Jesus coming, and Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and Jesus taking his life back up, that he promises, I'm going to leave a comforter with you. And the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell our lives. So you see, it's even more real for us, God being with us, than it was in that day and time, because God was saying, well, I'm with you, I'm by you, I'm at you, I'm, you know, I'm here to help you with it. Listen, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, the very God of all the universe lives inside of us by his spirit. I've got a painting in my office. Some of you have seen it. Some of you haven't. You might want to stop in sometime and look at it. It's really a print. It's not a painting uh, that I bought when I was in Bible college. And it shows a picture of the children of Israel out uh, in the wilderness and all their tents pitched. And it's, and it's at nighttime. It's got a picture of the glory cloud, the very presence of God coming right down into the most holy place. And there's pictures of people standing out there uh, looking at that glory cloud. And I remember when I first saw that, when I, when I bought it, I, I kind of had this thought to myself. I thought, how in the world did the children of Israel rebel against God like they did when they could stand there and they could see the very presence of God in that glory cloud coming down into the most holy place. And the instant I thought that, the Holy Spirit said, you're worse than they are. Because I don't dwell over here in this tent or off in a building. I live inside of you and you still rebel against me sometimes. And you still fail to obey me sometimes. So our recognition of God being with us to do whatever he calls us to do is that he literally inhabits your life as a believer. Keep looking at this just uh, for a moment. Oh, and he said even to the point of groaning, I'm about to skip over that part, that God was with them to the point of groaning. That sounds like he's really, really working with you. Hey, the New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit of God prays for us with groanings that can't be uttered. That's how concerned God is for us. In us carrying out, carrying out his, uh, his will. God also told him this. God made and keeps the covenant with, with the people of Israel. He said, I'm still with you according to the covenant that I made with you. Now, that phrase covenant uh, in that day and time meant to, uh, to divide between pieces and walk between the pieces. That's the way a covenant would take place. When God first made a covenant with Abraham, uh, uh, an animal was split in half, and, uh, and, and Abraham was kind of dreaming this, and a, and a lamp that represented the presence of God passed between the pieces of that animal to represent God being in, in, in the midst, God making a covenant with us. And that was the way a covenant was made then. And God made covenant several times with the children of Israel. Here he's saying, I made a covenant with you coming out of Egypt. Now, here's the neat thing about it. God always keeps his covenant in. Amen? God always keeps the promise of his word. We might violate it. We might turn our back on God. We might walk away. But God always keeps his end of the deal. Now, the children of Israel should have been thankful for that because God is telling them, hey, even after you turn your back on me and you're carried away into bondage and you come back and you focused on your own lives and your own home and you left the temple laying ruins for 16 years, you need to hear something. I'm with you to help you do the work. I'm still keeping my covenant with you. But you see, for us, we have a covenant with God because God didn't separate two animals. God became flesh, and he sent his son into this world, and he nailed his son on a cross, and he shed his blood, that through the blood of Jesus, not some animal, through the blood of Jesus, you and I as believers can have a covenant standing with Almighty God. 
So because of that, he's with you. Don't let the devil tell you you've made too big of a mistake. You can't do what God's calling you to do. Children of Israel could have thought, well, I can't build the temple. Look at how messed up our forefathers was. Look at all the mistakes we made. We left the temple on top of that, laying ruins for 16 years while we built in our own lives. That's what the devil wants you to believe, to where you just leave it in ruins and don't try and step forward by faith to do what God is telling you to do. Instead, what we need to do is this. We need to remember God is still with us. Yes, I've made mistakes, and yes, you've made mistakes, but thank God he is still with us because he promised us through the blood of Jesus that he's with us. And if he's with us, he's with us to help us accomplish whatever it is. He's with us by... By his covenant, he's with us, but his spirit, his spirit still stands in the midst, right in the center of whatever it is we're facing. God's spirit is with us, in us. And then Haggai also told the people this. He said, fear not. You know, it's a strange thing. Sometimes God will say, fear me. (laughs) And sometimes he'll say, fear not. When he tells us we need to fear him, we need to recognize he's holy, and we need to respond to that holiness and view him in reverence and respect. But here God is telling the children of Israel this, you can build this temple. Don't be afraid to do it, because I'm here with you. Don't be filled with fear. You can do the work, because I'm with you, and my spirit is with you, and you can carry out the work that I've called you to. Jesus gave his disciples a daunting task. It's called the Great Commission. But at the same time, Jesus said this in Matthew 28, verse 20. Behold, I'm with you. What's the word? What's the word? Everybody wake up. Read it. What's the word? I'm with you always. To the end of the age. The writer of Hebrews wrote this. So keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. In other words, don't chase after the wrong things all the time. For he has said, see, here's the most important thing. It's not stuff. The most important thing is his presence. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I've told you this before. When you read that in the original Greek, when you look at it there, he really says in a very strong statement in the Greek, I will never, no, never, no, never, no, never, ever leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. The people of Haggai's day had heard a message from God. I want you to build a temple. And they could have had all kinds of excuses not to do it. But God reminds them, hey, I'm with you. My presence is with you. You can do what I am calling you to do. And that same God is here for us. He will do whatever he needs to do. If he calls us to something, if it's his will, If it's actually his call, if it's his purpose, you don't need to worry about whether or not you can do it because if God calls you to do it, he's going to make it happen if you'll just follow him by faith. If you'll believe what he tells you and step forward by faith. Secondly, he told them this. Not only did he tell, make them the promise of his abiding presence, Haggai tells them that you've got the provision of God's inexhaustible resources. You have the provision of God's inexhaustible resources. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while I will shake heavens and earth and the sea and the dry land. By the way, what he says here had a present fulfillment and a future fulfillment. That's the way a lot of prophecy is. And we're, and we're going to talk about both of them after I, after I read this to you. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. Now, that's the way the English Standard Version puts it. I'm going to read from the New King James in just a minute also because the New King James, instead of talking about the treasures of the nations, it refers, I think, to Christ being the treasure of the nations. He's the desire of the nations. Those treasures shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Make a practical application of that for a moment. God is telling the children of Israel, they are in Jerusalem, the remnant that had returned. Don't worry about your own personal resources. They had already given up one time. 
You know, it would be really easy for them to start looking at the time required and the talents required and the money required and start looking at their own resources and think, I I just don't think we can do this. And God was trying to let them know, yes, you can. Like I said, we're not in a building program, but we never necessarily built a building. But man, we renovated this place enough just about to uh, have built one except for the outside walls. And if God were to lead us at some point in time to a building program, uh, then I think by faith, if we know it's God, we have to step forward. But I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I'm about 15 years older now than I was when we were, uh, you know, not quite 15 years, probably 12 years, 12, 13 years when we were working on this building. Turned 60 in February. There were mornings, sometimes on... Uh, Saturdays or, or days during the week when we had some guys that had taken off from work or they worked a different schedule, that we'd start here at 7 in the morning and we'd go home at 2 o'clock the next morning <laughs> during the night. Because some of you weren't here and you don't realize kind of what took place. All of this used to just be block walls from the inside in this section. So we had to come up with a way to renovate that, and we were trying to be frugal with God's money, and we did a whole lot of the work ourselves. We finally gave up on some of the sheetrock work, and we uh, uh, had a crew out of Hickory to come in, and, uh, man, they put us to shame. They, they had some, uh, uh, some workers with them, I think probably from Mexico or something, and the guys were little, but they must have been wiry. They were picking up big sheets of of the sheetrock by themselves and sticking on the wall. And two of us had been trying to do it and feel like we couldn't hardly get it done. They're walking around on stilts and then putting everything up and working on it. William Rogers and myself were the main ones that painted all of this black up in here. And I would go home and I looking like I had worked in a coal mine all day long. Because the stuff we're spraying up there was falling down on us, I'd go home, take the goggles off, and I'd look like a raccoon. <laughs> you think getting a suntan makes you look like a raccoon. Now to get in the shower and scrub and scrub and scrub to, to, to try and get all, all of that gone. I mean, there's all kinds of work that, that people, I mean, I can look around and see some of you that, that, that did it. Man, I'm glad we did it. There's fulfillment in doing it. But I'm just telling you, I might be a little bit like the children of Israel was then if all of a sudden I thought we're going to have to do that again. I start thinking, I, I don't know. Some of you younger guys are going to do it this time or something. But at the same time, if I hear God say, but I'm with you to do it, you know. God lets them know that he's going to provide for them. The practical application for them was, even though you've wasted all the time in the past, I'm still going to help you build the temple. Even though you've been building your own homes and using your resources on yourself, I'm still going to help you build this temple. So God told them he was with them, but he also tells them he'll provide the resources to rebuild the temple. God tells him he's going to shake, and I'm, I'm running out of time, so I don't have time to do all the, all the word studies, but God told him he was going to shake the nations. The word nations literally means the Gentile nations of, of that point in time. And he said, and those Gentile nations are going to bring the treasures in to help build the temple that needs to be built. And he says, I'm going to fill this place with, with my glory. Like I said earlier, I think that's his presence, not the silver and gold. Because he said all the silver and gold was his. He's telling the people, don't worry about your resources. Don't worry about doing it. Don't worry about building the temple because I'm the all-powerful God. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to shake a heathen nation in a way that they're going to provide the finances. Now, that sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it? Until you read in Ezra. We don't have time to read all this in Ezra this morning, but you can read it later. I'm just going to walk you through it and tell you what happens there in Ezra. The current king, Darius, knew that the Jews were getting ready to go back and they needed to build the temple and things like that. And the current king issued an order for them to look through all the archives of the documents in Babylon. When they did that, they found that Sirius, the king that was the king whenever they were let go back to Jerusalem, 
had commanded for them to go back and build the temple and had even said that we're going to pay for the temple out of the Babylonian treasury. So you've got a heathen king over a heathen nation saying we're going to take our tax money and we're going to pay for the temple to be rebuilt. Not only that, but he also told them this. He said all the gold and silver vessels that used to be used in the old temple that Nebuchadnezzar carried away to Babylon that we're storing in our treasury, that heathen king from a heathen nation said, I want you to give them their silver back and their gold utensils back and the vessels back that was used in the temple before so they can use it in the new temple. This is God shaking up a heathen nation or where they're making the provisions for the temple to be built. Not just that. All the people that lived outside Jerusalem, the, the, the people that were not Jewish, and they were upset because now the Jews have come back, and they were upset that the walls were built and the gate was built, and they're getting ready to build the temple. All those people that had moved in the region while the Jews were off in captivity. Darius tells them this. He tells them, you better leave them alone. You better let them build the temple. And on top of it, you're going to provide everything they need for the sacrificial system. You're going to give them the ghosts. You're going to give them the cattle. You're going to provide for them everything they need so they can offer the sacrifices there in the temple. And he even went a step beyond that. He said, by the way, I read that it's supposed to be paid for out of Babylonian funds. Well, the taxes that you guys that live local have collected there, you pay for it. So the very people that hated the Jews being there and hated the temple being rebuilt are being told that they're to provide everything that's needed for the sacrificial system and they're to fund the building of the temple. And if that's not bad enough for those people, Darius says this, if anybody changed my edict, if anybody changes my rule, my order, if you work against this temple being built, here's what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to pull a beam out of your house, and I'm going to impale you on it. What he said was this. I'm going to take a, well, I'm going to take a wood beam out of your house, and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to impale you upon that, that wood beam. And then I'm going to pull your house down and turn it into a dunghill. Do I need to elaborate on that? Do you know what a dunghill is? It's a pile of poop. So, so God moves upon the heart of a heathen king to take care of everything that needs to be done for the temple to be built. Pretty much all they're having to do is provide the labor because God's taking care of the resources to build it. And the message for us is simply this. Whatever God calls day three church to do, we can do it if we know it's God because he will provide for us to do what we need to do. Might not be in our timing. Might not be the way we want it to happen. But God if he calls us to something, can make a way for it to happen. If it's really God's will and God's purpose. The prophetic part of this, I don't have a lot of time to talk about the prophetic part of those verses that was just said, is, is, is simply this. There's a future shaking that's going to take place. God is going to shake not just the earth, not just heathen nations, but even the heavens. And there's going to be an ultimate time in the future that Jesus will sit on the throne in the millennial kingdom. And when he does, he's going to be the desire of the nations. That's the way the, the new King James put it. I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Charles Wesley, when he was writing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, wrote that phrase right into the hymn, Come, desire of nations, come. Fix us in thy humble home. What I think is taking place here, and some theologians disagree with, I think both things are true. I think God, in a practical way, immediately shook the nation, because you find it, found it there in, in Ezra, and he caused Babylon to fund the building of the temple. The Persian Empire at that time to fund the building of the temple. But he also has a future fulfillment. The reason some people don't agree with the future fulfillment is they say, well, Jesus was a, a root out of dry ground, and Jesus came to his own, his own received him not. He was rejected, he was scorned, he was a man of sorrows. He was. 
But there's coming a future time. Jesus, when he was here on earth in this flesh, when he walked into the temple, the temple had never been more glorious than when Jesus walked in because he was God in the flesh. Jesus, when he hung on the cross, was the very glory of God hanging on the cross. And we can fulfill people coming to the desire of the nations as we share the gospel, as we lead people to faith in him. There's coming a millennial kingdom that I alluded to a moment ago where he'll rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. And there's a time that Jesus was set on the throne. And because of all the shaking the world experienced in the great tribulation, they're going to want to come to him in that time. But there's coming an ultimate time even beyond the millennial kingdom after all the heaven and the earth has passed away and a new heaven and a new earth is brought in that Jesus is the very glory of God. You see, the new heaven doesn't have a temple and it doesn't need one. Jesus is the temple. So there's an immediate application and there's a future application and a future application of God having that much glory and Jesus being exalted and people drawn to him in that way for all eternity ought to motivate us to do what God calls us to do. Which really brings us to the, to the last point. The last point is simply this. Well, let me, well, I'm sorry. Let me read Hebrews. This is too good to pass over. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm about to get ahead of them and myself both. What I just alluded to in, in the future, look at what Hebrews says. At that time, his voice shook the earth. That's talking about when, when God gave the Ten Commandments on top of Mount Sinai. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. In other words, the heaven and the earth. Everything that's in existence. The current kingdoms of the world. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be Shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship, reverence, and all for God's a consuming fire. In other words, all the old stuff will pass away. There's a new heaven and a new earth, a new kingdom that can never, ever be shaken. And if you're a Christian, that's a kingdom you belong to. Third reason, third thing I want you to see today as, as to why we ought to be obedient while we ought to work with the mentality that God is with us. I think in verse 9, Haggai is more or less telling the people that God still has a purpose. There's a persuasion of God's eternal purpose because he said this, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Not by being ornamental, not by being overlaid with silver and gold, He's talking about a future temple, the very glory of God. He said, it will be greater, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Jerusalem doesn't look much like a place of peace in the day and time which we live in. But there's coming a day when the Prince of Peace reigns on the throne that it will be a place of peace. God has that as an eternal purpose. God called them in that day and time to build the temple. And then I think, hey, guys, tell them, hey, just because you've wasted all this time, that doesn't mean God's purposes has changed. This temple, this new temple is going to be greater than the last. A lesson for us to learn is this. God's eternal purposes are always his purposes. God doesn't go backwards. Do you recognize that in his purpose? Once God communicates his purpose, he doesn't say, oops, I made a mistake, let's back up. We might back up. We may fail to carry his purpose out. We may fall down on our part. But if God has an eternal purpose, that's always an eternal purpose that he wants us to move forward into. Then That's why I'm refocused today by pointing you, refocusing you to our vision and mission statement. We could have put more uh, specific things on the wall, but you see, these are the main purposes of God. This is the main purpose for the church. And it's going to be his eternal purpose to do these things. And God won't back up from it. We might, but God won't. And what my suggestion to you would be this, instead of us backing up from it, 
What we need to do is say, all right, God, I believe that's your eternal purpose. Just like they said in that day and time, I believe it's time to build a temple. When you say, God, this is your eternal purpose, and we're going to walk ahead. We're going to step forward. We're going to do what you're calling us to do. Because God's purposes never move, move backwards. I wish mine haven't. And you probably wish yours hasn't. But a lot of times we, we back up on God's purposes. You and I can provide peace and we can receive peace. Through the gospel of Christ, I can have peace with God. I can have peace in my heart. God can equip me to have peace with other people. But there's coming a day, as I said earlier, that there will be a perfect peace. But until that day comes, until he reigns on the throne for all eternity, and there's a perfect peace, you and I need to be about the vision and the mission of God because you and I can bring peace to individual hearts as we share the gospel and we win them to be in the body of Christ and we build them and we send them out to change the world. We can bring peace in the world that we live in. John 1.14 tells us that Jesus templed or tabernacled among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word dwelt literally means to, to tabernacle or to, to temple among us. Because Jesus tabernacled among us, because Jesus came into this world, because Jesus went to the cross for our sins, because Jesus dwelt among us. Now, you and I, as believers, if you know Christ as your Savior, we're the temple of God. And we need to tabernacle with Him, and we need to dwell with Him, and we need to carry out His purposes, whatever His purposes might be. So, where are you in your own life this morning? Do you have peace in your heart? Do you have peace in your life? Are you at peace when you come to think of standing before God one day? See, the only way you can have peace is through Jesus. Because we're told this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Next slide. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making, what's that word? Peace by the blood of his cross. If you don't have peace with God this morning, you can't have peace by trusting in what Jesus did on the cross for you. Believing that he paid the full price, the full penalty, so you can be at peace with God. If you don't know him during this invitation time, why not, why not come up and say you, you don't have peace, but you want peace? You want to trust in Christ and ask him to give you the peace between yourself and God, a peace that passes all understanding. If you already know Christ as your Savior, Maybe you're at peace with God, but you don't have the peace of God because you know you're not doing what God's called you to do. You know you're not helping fulfill the vision of God or the mission of God. And maybe this morning you're wrestling with, with some guilt because you realize you haven't been obedient. You've not done what God asked you to do. So why not come during the invitation and kneel and bow and pray and say, God, just, just help me. Forgive me that I've ignored your will and cast it aside for so many years like the children of Israel did the temple and tell him you want to step forward believing you can do whatever he calls you to do because you know you have his presence with you because you know he has a provision to help you do whatever it is he calls you to do and because you have the eternal purpose of God that he's communicated to you that doesn't change those things all motivate us to do whatever it is God calls us to do in our lives. Let's pray. God, forgive us when we make excuses. It's so easy for us to do that when we feel your spirit move upon our hearts. We, we feel as we read your word, that you're calling us to do things, that you're correcting our lives. And God, there's just so many times we come up with excuses. I pray for believers in this place this morning that you help us to drop the excuses. You help us just to 
be willing to tell you whatever it is you call us to. We're willing to step forward by faith because we know you're with us and we know you can provide what's needed and, and we know it's your purpose, it's your will. So help us to step forward and answer the call to do whatever you're, you're calling us to do as a church, whatever you're calling us to do as individual believers. Father, if there's anyone in this place that's never said yes to Jesus, speak to their heart. Draw them to yourself. Help them to see that you have an eternal purpose for their life because you love them so much you put your son on a cross so they can be forgiven and be in a relationship with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. During this invitation, maybe God moves upon your heart and you need to come and kneel and pray and, and, and say, God, forgive me for making excuses. God, help me to step forward. God, help me to have the awareness that you're with me. I'm going to look up instead of look around. I'm going to look up and follow you into whatever you call me to do. Please stand. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. someone over on this side that's praying uh, I'm asking Osh if they would just quietly make it uh, make their way here to the front as we uh, get ready to receive our offering um, I hope as you leave from this place in a few minutes to go out into the world this week that you'll remember that God's called us to be strong and that we need to be even obstinate about the will of God in the culture that we live in, the day that we live in. So I want to encourage you to go forward thinking about God being with you, God being able to help you live your life this week, being able to help you 
be the Christian testimony that you ought to be, wherever you're at, at work or wherever it might be. To be able to help you share your faith. God's with you and he'll provide whatever you need to do what he calls you to do. I think that also has an application for our offering this morning. Because many times we can look at our wallet, look at our budget, our personal budget, and make excuses. I was guilty of that early on in our marriage. God used Becky's father speaking on a Baptist men's day to ring my bell. And uh, that I had to trust him no matter what it looked like. And God's been faithful is all I can tell you, you know. I'm not going to bankrupt yet. May tomorrow, but I'm not yet. <laughs> So we need to understand that he's with us. He equips us. He takes care of us. If he can shake a heathen nation to provide for the temple to be built in Haggai's day, he can take care of us. Amen? Also, uh, after the offering and you get ready to leave, we still have the table set up for Compassion uh, International. And uh, some of you have already gone over today, I know, and picked up a packet. If you've not had the chance to do that yet, please go over and visit that table. And you can... uh, uh, more or less adopt or sponsor a child uh, for about $38 a month and uh, really meet their needs and provide for them uh, through Compassion International. So I invite you maybe to go over there. Father, help us to remember always that you're with us in whatever you call us to do. That includes our giving. That includes our service outside the walls of this church. Help us to remember that, that you're with us. Help us to look up and not look around. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.